Sometimes we have a narrow definition of how we expect God to work in our lives. We think that He's only going to speak to us in one way or do it, do things in one way with certain people. But I find that God uses anything and everything to bring us back to Him. That's today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. No, this is not Pastor Jason. He is taking a much-needed vacation, but don't worry, you will hear his sermon. This week, Pastor Jason digs into the story of David and Saul, including the deep humility that David shows. This week at Tower Hill Church, it was a jammed, packed one with 165 kids and 70 volunteers at our Vacation Bible School all week long. You know we are in full swing of summer when we have VBS followed by an awesome Tower Hill fishing charter. Thanks to all that participated. We hope this podcast blesses you. Feel free to share it. And without further ado, here is Pastor Jason. We are in our uh, sermon series this summer called 12 Stones, Stories That Shape Our Faith. What we're doing is we're looking back, especially in some Old Testament stories of those faithful people that went before us. And we're seeing how does their story impact ours? Why does it matter what Jacob and Ezra and Nehemiah, what what does it matter that they went through those things for our faith now? Well, I think it matters a lot because when we come to faith in Jesus, these stories become our stories, becomes our shared history of faith together. And we learn so much about how to live this life by learning about what they lived through and who they lived for. Well, have you ever had one of those things happen in life where maybe you had some good intentions but it didn't quite work out? I'm going to share one of those stories with you now. And I got permission from my wife to share this, so you know this is a doozy. Well, uh, a few Christmases ago, I'd say it's maybe five years ago or so, uh, I decided I was, I was going to get Karen a really awesome Christmas gift. And I just kind of decided, like, we're going to do it big this year. I'm going to get her a really nice gift. And I'm like, okay, so what should I get her, you know? And, uh, and she, needed, she needed a new phone. Her phone was all, like, busted. I think it was, like, the Nokia, the Flip. It wasn't that bad. But it, it wasn't good. And I'm like, I'm going to get her a nice phone this year. And I'm like, I don't know. Gwen Stefani's on TV selling a phone. I'm going to get that phone. That's the phone that I'm going to get for her. So I went out, and I bought, bought her the phone, and I wrapped it up. And I'm like, I cannot wait for her to open this phone because I nailed it, obviously. You see where this is going. Nailed it. So I wrapped it all up. I'm waiting on Christmas morning, and she opens her gift, and she opens up the box with the phone in it, and she goes like this. She goes, oh. I'm thinking, you know, I've been married long enough to know that that's not the sound of overwhelming joy. (laughs) And that maybe, maybe I got it wrong. So she opens it up, and she's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is nice. Nice. Nice is the enemy. So... So, uh, so after Christmas and the kids are all done, I go up to her and, uh, and I'm like, hey, you know, honey, what's, I mean, you like the phone? I mean, you know, it cost a little something, you know, you like the phone? She's like, yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm like, all right. What's on? She goes, okay, look, the phone is something I need. Like, I would hope you would just get me a phone anyway if I need a new phone. It's like a gift. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I'm just a guy or what it is, but someone hands me a phone, I am over the moon. It's the greatest gift ever. I'm thinking, and she's like, no, no, it's as if I gave her a vacuum cleaner or something. Like, she's like, no, no, I, wanted, I want something that I want. 
And of course, now this is what made it worse. So for the previous 12 years or so of our marriage, she would talk about getting the little blue Tiffany box. Now my wife is not a materialistic woman. Uh, she knew that when she, you know, she married a pastor after all. But she wanted a little something because she always wanted to get the little blue box. Now that year she had been dropping hints like it was her job. Dropping hints to get the box. And this is where I, man, this got really bad. So, so I'm like, well, what did you want? And she's like, you know, I've been telling you something from Tiffany. I thought when I saw the little box, I thought there was something. I said, husbands never say this. I thought you were kidding. <laughs> kidding? It's been 12 years. I don't know. I just thought you were playing around. So, anywho, I had good intentions but I really blew it. I really missed it on my wife's. Now, the, so the next year, I got her something from Tiffany, and I wrapped it in the phone box. <laughs> so she, that was good. We had a good laugh. We had a good laugh. But listen, sometimes our good intentions, and we have great intentions, and we just make a big mess of things. I don't know. Any of you ever had that happen? You had good intentions, but it just ended up making a mess of things. We call them a Clark Griswold moment. A Clark Griswold moment. You, I mean, your heart, and, and you say this, well, my heart's in the right place. I meant to do the right thing, and then, I don't know, I just kind of fouled it all up with my behavior. I Somehow my good intentions did not line up with what I hoped would happen. And I think there is a spiritual version of this that happens to us in faith. I think sometimes we become the Christians of the good intentions. And our behavior doesn't always line up with what we say we believe. And it all blows up. We say, well, my heart was in the right place. I actually think there's more to it. I think God is calling us to something deeper. I think it looks different to have your heart in the right place than to just say, well, I had good intentions. What is it that we talk about when we're talking about my heart being in the right place? Well, I think it's acknowledging just the struggles of the human heart. I mean, what do we mean when we talk about the heart? We talk about this spectrum of behavior when it comes to our hearts, right? So on the one hand, we talk about sensitivity, there's a tenderness when we talk about the heart. It's somebody who, who shows that tenderness and sensitivity. And then on the other hand, you get on the other spectrum an oversensitivity, an oversentimentality that doesn't help anyone. It's just a big mess. Or what else to do with the heart? Intestinal fortitude, courage. That's something that, it's a great trait of the heart. And yet, on the other hand, if that goes out of control, it could just simply become foolishness. I jumped off a roof. Oh, that's just dumb. The heart can lead you into some dumb places. Or you have kind of a deep and abiding love on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you have infatuation or puppy love. And I think that there's a spiritual version when we talk about the heart. You have somebody who's got a mature faith in Jesus. And yet at the same time, somebody might spend their whole life chasing after spiritual feelings. 
What do I mean by that? Well, I think this is, this kind of speaks to, like, a lot of Christians over time, they start getting dissatisfied. And a lot of times that comes out as dissatisfaction with the church. And they're like, well, I just got to go find another church. That's obviously the answer. Well, it's not always the answer. The answer sometimes is that God is trying to do something in your heart, and you're going through a dry season or going through the wilderness, but he wants you to work through that because he's got something for you on the other end. Oftentimes when we pray for God to transform us, he's already waiting to do it. He's waiting on us to get our hearts open enough to allow him to do it. I think there's a spiritual version now of having your heart in the right place. What does it mean to have my heart in the right place with God? I think this is the question that we face. What does it look like? What does it look like in real time for you and I to live our lives faithfully with our heart securely in the right place? And this is where today's story of faith helps us. And this is the story of David. 1 Samuel 13 verse 14. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. So what was going on was uh, the nation of Israel was led by King Saul. King Saul was not doing it right. He needed someone, the Lord needed someone who had the right heart. And so he had already decided this someone was going to be David. As we jump into David's story, it says that he's a man after God's own heart. We're going to see God's heart on display through David. And we're going to do kind of a jump overview over kind of his story arc and see how we can see the different traits of a heart that is in the right place for God. It starts with very humble beginnings. So the prophet Samuel went to Jesse, who is the father of David, because the Lord told him that the next king, the man after his own heart, was going to be one of his sons. And the first thing he does Samuel, is he goes to the biggest, strongest, most obvious example of a king. And he says, well, that must be him. Here's what he hears the Lord tell him, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And there was something about David in his life that showed that his heart was the way that God wanted it so that he could use it. And then Samuel, verse 13, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the first characteristic of a heart that beats for God, is that it must begin with a relationship with God. That is the first thing. It doesn't work. You cannot have a heart like God's. You cannot have your heart in the right place if it doesn't start with the relationship with God. The anointing comes before the action. The anointing comes before the battle. The relationship comes before you're going to do anything. And this relationship was the very beginning. It's what started David's journey. The Lord identified as you have some possibility of being that man that I want to raise up. And now let's anoint you to do it. It starts with a relationship with God. Now, many of you, listen, if this is your first day back to church after many years, you know today's story about David and Goliath. You've heard of it. You probably know how it goes. But this was really a critical time 
for the nation of Israel. The Philistines were these people that uh, were going to destroy them. And the way they did it back then, have you ever seen, I don't know, I'm clicking away. I've seen the movie Gladiator, where they choose a champion to fight on behalf of the people. The idea was, you had a champion on one side, matched by a champion on the other side. They'd fight, and whoever wins, wins. They win the battle. This way, you don't kill your whole army in the battle. So the Philistines, they had a champion, Goliath, that nobody wanted to face. Like, nobody. And if nobody was going to stand up and face him, it was going to be game on. It was going to be a battle. And Saul knew that they were going to lose. He didn't have a whole lot of trust in the Lord when he saw that Philistine army. And then here comes David, this kid, this shepherd boy. Here's what David says to Saul. 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see in this shepherd boy, this incredible courage. And this is the second attribute of a heart that's right with God, God's own heart. It is filled with courage that against all odds you will trust in the Lord. Against the way everything looks, you will trust in what he has asked you to do. Because you will prevail. That's easier said than done, though, because life's hard. It's kind of like a friend of mine who went to New Zealand, and she did this bungee jump. It was like a 300-foot bungee jump, and she recorded it. And so they show her getting all up, and it's over this big canyon in New Zealand. She's getting all set up in the harness. I'm having heart palpitations just watching her. And finally, she jumps off in the video, and I about lose my mind watching her, and she's screaming her head off. And I asked her, I'm like, what? Why'd you do that? Like, what, what were you thinking? She's like, I don't know. I trusted that it was safe. I trusted, I prayed, and I felt like God was saying to me, don't worry about it. I'm not going to kill you in this canyon today. That's kind of a wild example. But I feel like this is the same thing that happens in our lives. We have this big canyon. We have this big bungee jump in our lives that we're not sure about. And we feel like the Lord's asked us to do it. We don't know how it's going to work out. It's saying, trust me no matter what. No matter what happens, trust me. I'm going to get you through it against all odds. This is the courage that David showed when he faced Goliath. Now, spoiler alert, David wins. David wins with a stone and a sling, quite famously. Goliath falls, and what happens to David? Instant celebrity. Everybody loves David. David is the man, or the boy. Everyone loves David. They're celebrating him down the streets. He is, and why not? He's the ultimate underdog story. He's the one who prevailed over the giant. He saved everyone. But he became such a celebrity that King Saul didn't like it. 
In fact, he started to be threatened by David's celebrity so much that he tried to kill him. He had it set that he was going to kill David because he started hearing things like David ought to be king. And David has this moment. He has an opportunity to kill Saul, to end it. He finds Saul, I don't know how to say this, almost literally with his pants down, in a cave, and he right there, he can end it. And he chooses not to. He extends him the mercy and grace that Saul was never going to give him. That is what God's heart looks like. It extends mercy and grace when there is no reason to. Now maybe your life isn't quite as extreme as that, but I'll bet there's someone at work or someone in your family or even one of your friends who every time you turn around, they're constantly trying to knock you down a peg. And it gets old. And they're trying to knock you down in front of people. They're trying to make you look bad. They're trying to make you look incompetent. They're trying to make you look like you don't know what you're doing. And you don't know why. And you're angry. And then this moment comes when you have an opportunity to get back. They do something dumb. They do make a big mistake. And you can pummel them in that moment in front of everybody and prove that they are the ones that ought to be brought down. And I think what we get from David's story is that we don't do that. That's not what God's heart does. God's heart forgives and shows grace and mercy, even when it's not deserved. And to trust that God will work all that out. That's up to God will make sure that justice happens. We don't need to take that into our own hands. So David becomes king, a great king. In fact, he, he and his son Solomon were the, that golden era of the nation of Israel. When they thought they finally made it. The fulfillment of all God's promises are here. We have the perfect kingdom now. Everything is working beautifully. It's all happening because David, he's the one. He's the one that's been anointed. He's the man after God's own heart. And then, let's just say David developed a little heart disease. He had a couple of blockages brought on by sin. And he sinned in one of the ugliest ways that we read about throughout Scripture. David, using his power as king, has the opportunity to invite Bathsheba to his home, and he has an affair, commits adultery. And if that weren't bad enough, he doubles down on the sin. Her husband was in the military, and he wanted to get her husband out of the way so he can have her to himself. And so he makes sure that he is sent to the front lines of battle where he dies. Even a man after God's own heart. Gets derailed. By some sin blockages. And he was really derailed for a long time. And it was a, a friend, who, well someone who became a friend, who called him out on it. And said he needed to repent for what he had done. This whole nation of Israel started kind of going off the rails a bit. Because of his sin. He started making bad decisions. But then when he realized he needed to repent. He found himself flat on his face before the Lord. And he started repenting for what he had done. And the amazing thing. 
is that God started to restore him. It didn't happen overnight. He still had to pay for what happened. He still had some consequences to endure. But the Lord restored him anyway. And this created incredible gratitude in David's heart. And I think this is part of what it means to have a heart in the right place with God, is that we live our lives with gratitude. We don't act like everything should be handed to us. We give thanks. I think it's just giving thanks that you woke up this morning. That the Lord's blessed you with another day. And when you start living your life based on the things you're thankful for, not for what you wish you had, you have a transformed life on your hands. Because we all play that game. It's the comparison game. Everybody loves to play. I would like this, and I would like this. Oh, they have this. I want that. Why can't I have that? It changes your whole life. When you wake up and you start thanking God for the things you have and not for the things that you wish you had, you start experiencing what real joy and peace feels like. I know, easier said than done. But this is a trait of somebody whose heart is after God's. I love when David looks back and reflects on everything that happened to him and his temporary heart disease. He offers this prayer in 1 Chronicles. The King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? I love that. That's just dripping with humility. He continues, And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Even me that messed up so badly, there's a future for my family. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. Having a heart that is in the right place with God is about a deep humility that says, I don't deserve any of this, and Lord, yet you blessed me with it anyway. I would say Christians should be the most humble people on the planet because we know we didn't deserve any of this, but God gave it to us anyway. God wants human hearts to be more like his. The more they are, the more they flourish. And it's through David that God is revealing his heart. But even David had struggle with heart disease. There was only one. There was only one who ever lived who 100% showed a heart for God 100% of the time, waking and sleeping, suffering and joy, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's where things get crazy. Because you might think, well, man, if David, a man after God's own heart, can't do it, what are, what's my chance? I don't know. I'm not even close to as good as David. So here's the thing that David didn't have the benefit of, and that's the cross. God reveals his heart fully and finally in Jesus Christ, who now resides in you. In other words, when you come to faith in him, that Holy Spirit is inside of you. The beating heart of Jesus Christ now beats in your place. You are a new creation. You are made new in him. Jesus Christ, his heart is literally transplanted into yours. David didn't have that luxury. But we do. We have the opportunity to live with our hearts in the right place every single day because of what God has done for us. 
So how does David's story help us understand our story? How does it help shape your faith? I think the first one is, you are a woman or man after God's own heart. Now you must live like it. We answered that question. Am I, do I, am I a man or woman after God's own heart? Yes, because God's own heart is beating inside of me. But now I have to live like it. Now I have to not let the sin blockages get in the way and damage this heart. I have to repent. And sometimes that means I'm going to be flat on my face before God asking for forgiveness. But he will clear that up and restore it once again. And I think the second thing is that your heart isn't self-shaped. It must be shaped by Jesus. In other words... You're not going to do any of this without a relationship with God. It's God working on you from the inside out. He's the one who's going to be shaping your heart. And the third one I think is the most important, and the one that often hurts us the most, is here's the reality. Sin may derail you, but it won't disqualify you. Sin may derail you, but it won't disqualify you. I feel like if we start living, believing that this is true... It could change everything about us because we beat ourselves up better. We don't need anyone to beat us up. We beat ourselves up worse than anyone when it comes to our sin. Sin has not disqualified you from having a heart for God. You already have that heart. It just needs to get a little work done. God still wants to use you. And then after that, you can look back and say, God, who am I that you brought me this far? Let's make sure that our heart is in the right place today. That the beating heart of Jesus Christ beats in us so boldly and strongly that everyone in our world can see it. And that they would want the same. This is a story that shapes our faith. Amen.